Are you obsessed with Los Angeles? Head over heels in love with the City of Angels? Well, this is the podcast for you. At Lifehacks LA, we hack the best in arts, eats, and activities in Los Angeles. So join us and become an LA hacker. What's up, LA Hackers? This is your host, Stefan, and thank you for joining us once again as we hack another LA topic. Okay, this is an exciting one for me because I love interviewing entrepreneurs, I love interviewing LA brands, and I love talking about iconic LA locations. And today we are checking off all three with our guest, Helena. And that is because Helena is the owner of the awesome Malibu Farm restaurant that sits right on the famous Malibu Pier. The restaurant is beloved by people that live in Malibu and visitors alike. In fact, it's such a part of the culture, the landscape, and the environment of the Malibu Pier, it's hard to imagine Malibu Farms not being there. So you might be surprised to learn that it's only been open for less than 10 years. Yes, it's one of the most well-known and loved spots in Malibu, but it really hasn't been here that long. So Helena's gonna share her story, and it's an inspiring one, of how she came from Sweden, moved to LA, eventually made her way to Malibu and created the beloved Malibu Farms from an idea that originally started in her own backyard. If you love to hear LA success stories and the background history of some of the most iconic spots in Los Angeles, you're gonna love Helena's story about her business, Malibu Farms. And you know what it is, guys. Come, after our, come back after our conversation and I'll share a special little hack for this episode. Until then, enjoy this interview with the founder of Malibu Farms and we will talk to you again on the other side. What's up, LA Hackers? Welcome our guest today, Helene Henderson from Malibu Farms. How are you today? I am great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So before we talk about your journey with Malibu Farms and the amazing service and brand you've created, we want to find out a little bit more about you. How did a young lady from Sweden make her way all the way to Malibu, California? Where I'm from in the very, very north of Sweden, almost everybody went somewhere when they graduated um, high school. Most people went to England as au pairs, super popular. I did have an American passport from birth. So I went to New York instead. Um, mm. And I thought I'd stay a year, but I have met this girl that was from California and she asked me to follow her to California. And so I did. <laughs> nice. Very adventurous, huh? Yeah, she was like, I'll get you a job, a boyfriend and a car. I didn't even have a driver's license. So um, those were pretty good, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, all right, this sounds good. So I guess I'm going to California. That's awesome. You tack on the weather and the beach and it's like a no brainer, right? Yep. And here I am. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about Malibu because, you know, we all love Malibu. Have you ever lived in any other parts of Los Angeles and how do they compare and what are some things that you personally love so much about Malibu that you decided to call it your permanent home? You know, we lived in L.A. for like 15 years, literally the day I met my husband, who I was set up with by my friend who learned me to follow her from New York. She came through. She came through. Um, but the day <laughs> I met him, he's like, I'm saving all my money and I'm moving to Malibu. And so that was always his goal. And that's what we did. And it took us like 15. 15 years, if not longer, to make that happen. And so, yeah, that's how we ended up in Malibu. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, like you said, a goal like that to live in Malibu, that's a lot of people's dream. 
And you guys made it happen. Yep, we made it happen. Yeah. I mean, I love LA. I, you know, was there. I mean, both of my kids went to super competitive schools. So I was definitely ready to move into a less competitive and more mellow place. I could have moved anywhere. Um, he was Malibu or nothing. So <laughs> yeah, I feel like Malibu is its own enclave and community. Even though you guys get so many visitors, it almost feels like a small town in certain parts of Malibu where everyone seems to know each other. Everybody knows everyone, which is a blessing. It's amazing when you have young kids. My youngest went to the public schools in Malibu. It's amazing. Everybody knows everybody. It's sometimes not a blessing when you're trying to, you know, during the pandemic, it's like the worst time ever. I'm just trying to get coffee you know, and <laughs> you're running to 12 people. How are the restaurants doing? And you're like, oh my God. Yeah. The last thing I want to talk about are the restaurants that you cannot go out in Malibu without seeing somebody. So there's like the flip side of that. But no, Malibu is amazing. It's a very small town. If you have young kids, I couldn't recommend it anymore because it is a super tight knit community. Yeah. And let's talk about your journey because now you're part of the Malibu culture. I mean, for anybody who loves Malibu or is a foodie in Los Angeles, they've heard of the Malibu farms. But for those of us or for those people who haven't had the chance to go there yet, can you briefly explain what it is? What is the concept and what can people expect when they go to visit? So we are on the Malibu Pier. The Malibu Pier, some people don't know, is a California state park. I didn't know that. We're operating in a state park. Yes, we do need to. Actually, when you open, state parks actually approves your menu and your pricing. And so we do try to be as accessible to as many Californians as possible. Um, We are also open 365 days a year, which is a requirement of state park operators. Mm -hmm. And I think our concept is really to have a vegetable forward menu, a farm to table forward menu, but still include a lot of people that may sometimes be feel excluded from farm to table restaurants because they feel too fussy or they feel too upscale or they have ingredients they don't recognize. So we're trying to be a little bit broader and really embrace the idea that we are in a state park and not get too out of reach for anyone. That's so interesting. I had no idea it was a state park. That's why I love doing these interviews, because even though I talk about Los Angeles all the time, you learn all these new things. I had no idea. Yeah, it's owned by the state of California. So if you live in California, then you are a part owner. So sometimes people ask me about the parking. Well, the parking lot, for example, is owned by the state of California, and it is for beachgoers. It's not for the restaurant customers, so we don't have any control over that. So sometimes there's no parking and that's the rates are really set in accordance to all state beaches, which is why the rate often is too low. So, I mean, it's not too low. It's great if you go into the beach. I've been saying like if you, people get frustrated because they're trying to go to the restaurant and they don't understand that why is the parking lot full at 9 a.m. That's because it's the cheapest parking in Malibu. And if it's a beach day, people might flood it at seven and stay all day. So. Yeah, that's funny. I've never even tried for that parking lot. I was just at your restaurant two weeks ago. I just go right by that parking lot because it's so small, but I didn't realize it was the cheapest. So maybe I'll try shoot for it next time. Okay. Yeah, so let's... usually it's like $10 or $15 all, all day, you know, not for two hours. <laughs> yeah. I think we parked like two blocks away and it was 10 bucks. So it wasn't too bad, but um Okay, let's talk about the origin story of Malibu Farms, because like we've been talking about, the location is incredible. It's for those who haven't been. I mean, it's on the pier and it's like picturesque and beautiful. How did Malibu Farms come about and tell us how it all started and how the heck did you secure such an amazing spot like right on the pier like that? Well, you know, I'm from a catering background and a private chefing background, which is what I was doing. 
then when we moved to Malibu, I had a kid that was in kindergarten and a lot of the moms were like, oh, we love you cooking. Will you teach cooking classes out of your house? And so I'm like, okay, sure. My classes were like 20 bucks. <laughs> I wasn't doing it for money. I was just doing it for fun. Mm -hmm. And I was teaching these cooking classes and one of the, they wanted recipes. I didn't have any recipes. I was just cooking for fun. And then somebody's like, well, why don't you start a blog and you can put your recipes on the blog. That way you get something you can do at your leisure. So I started this blog. The name of my blog was Malibu Farm which was a cooking blog for people to take my cooking class. That blog took off right away. It got so many hits and people were like, oh, we're coming from China. How can we come wow. to Mama Farm cooking class? And I'm like, it's in my backyard. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was kind of funny. And then I started doing dinners. I actually did the very first dinner as a fundraiser for the local school because my son was in kindergarten. So people made a donation to the Point Doom Elementary School and then they could come for dinner in my backyard. And that to me was like a one-time, you know, dinner, just kind of for fun. And then everyone's like, when's the next dinner? That's so fun. And then before I knew it, I was selling these tickets to have dinner in my backyard online. That's so cool. I don't know what I was thinking, but that's what I was doing. Eventually, I did get shut down by the city of Malibu, as I should, because I was running an illegal my home, and the neighbors weren't too happy with that. So I, you know, accepted responsibility for that so I was shut down and so I had a product to sell and I was looking for locations to have my dinners so this was really a quest to find locations to hold pop-up dinners and my husband had read this article in my Malibu Times that everything on the pier was vacant and he's a surfer and he goes to the beach all the time and he loves that part of Malibu so it's like you should reach out to the Malibu pier and see if you can have a dinner on the pier so this whole thing just started with the idea of having a pop-up one-day dinner on the pier, which then kind of spiraled into a short-term pop-up lease. Wow. And um, here we are. So what was there before? Do you know? So before there was a Ruby's, Ruby's Diner Whoa, at the end. Oh, okay. And that the makes Beach sense. Comer. Yeah. Yeah. So that Ruby's and Beach Comer is owned by the same company and they do tons of piers. They've been doing tons of piers all over California, yeah. Southern California. And they went out of business and then everything was vacant for like three or four years. And the entire pier had gotten completely dilapidated. There was nothing but drunks, fishermen and homeless on the pier. Wow. Um, so when I came that day to look at it for one night dinner, I was like, I don't even know what the people are going to do here. It's just so funky and it's not charming. And then the very front patio at the front of the pier that looked kind of decent. So then I asked to do a three-day pop-up over there. But then the pier concessionaire was like, no, if you want to pop up, you can pop up at the cafe at the end, which was an old Ruby's. And I don't know if you've been inside a Ruby's, but it's all like red vinyl, yeah, glossy, yeah. <laughs> shiny. Uh, and I was like, I can't pop up. Yeah, exactly like that. Like they had just walked out and everything was intact. But it's like not my style. So I was like, I can't pop up <laughs> at the Ruby's. I can pop up at the patio in the front, but they wouldn't budge on that. Mm -hmm. So these conversations started maybe in March of 2014. And then it took until September, not 2013, when they agreed to remove all the red vinyl and all the red stuff from the cafe. And then they did that. And I just had it painted white and we built a couple of tables and that was my pop up. That's amazing. Because, yeah, like I said, I was just there a couple of weeks ago and it it couldn't be further from a Ruby's than what it is now. So that's pretty yeah. incredible <laughs> with the vibe, the aesthetic. Yeah, I really, 
zero dollars. I mean, I spend like no, you know, money, maybe $10,000. Um, but for opening restaurants, you know, that's like I literally spend no money because it was a short term pop up. I didn't think it was going to succeed. I actually still had my full time private chef job at night, but I had a very cushy job where it was like show up anytime we just want dinner on the table at six right so i was like okay i'm gonna do this pop-up from nine to three and then i still have time to pack up food and i can be in brentwood serving dinner at six and then no matter what happens during the day here i'm gonna make enough money in my private chefing job cover my costs on the pier that was my thinking i never thought it was really gonna work out but i was like this is kind of like a fun opportunity so I was definitely covering all my bases financially um, to not put myself out there to a high risk. Wow, that's awesome. Like ultimate side hustle turns into this. So Helena, I wanted to ask you because, you know, Malibu Farms is, of course, synonymous with its location on the Malibu Pier. But I have noticed that you have other locations now, a couple in California. I saw you have one in a couple other states and even one in Japan. So can you first tell us about the U.S. locations and let us know the story about your international expansion? How directly are you involved with those other locations? We are trying to move more into operational. What did happen when I first opened, I literally spent no money, but I am definitely a big believer in good coffee. Things have changed a lot since 2013, but back in 2013, not every restaurant had an espresso machine. It was rather unusual. So I decided to buy one because you can, you know, resell them because they hold up forever. And everyone's like, you're buying an espresso machine? That's crazy. I was like, but I believe in coffee. And the coffee that we work with is a friend of mine, Gary from Coffee Lux. And so I had his coffee and he trained us and people were kind of laughing about this thing. But the funny thing that happened was that Mayor Tepper, which is one of the co-owners of Nobu, one of the main owners, the three owners, Nobu, Robert De Niro and Mayor Tepper, he lives just down the street and he's a coffee fanatic. So he started coming because he heard I had the Cafe Lux coffee. He was one of the very first customers that rolled into this random pop-up at the end of the pier. Wow. And then one day he asked, he's like, whose restaurant is this? He asked somebody in the front of the house. I want to meet that person. And so I started talking, and he kind of became a mentor, and he hooked me up with a lot of opportunities of people that he knew. So that's kind of the connection with that. But without the coffee, I would probably have never met him. So. Wow. And it's I good to be in the location, right? Malibu. You meet people like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he lives literally two blocks away. And so at the time, there was zero coffee shops in Malibu. There was none. There was a Starbucks, but there was nobody who was actually making, you know, manually brewed coffee. I was the only place. So he started coming every single day because of the coffee. And then he was like, oh, I love this place. And I like, you know, this breakfast and whatnot. So. Wow. So it seemed like, you know, outrageous at the time. Oh, she's buying an espresso machine. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. that was like best investment ever. <laughs> and then you uh, decided to open the other location in California? The cafe got super, super busy. It's very tiny. And the kitchen crew was like, we cannot stay here, senora. We will follow you, but you need to get a bigger location. Mm. So I was talking to Mayor Tepper, the owner of Nobu, his best friend, of course, is Larry Ellison, who owns the current Soho House, which at the time was the Nikita building, which had gone out of business. And he's like, you should talk to Larry. Maybe you can move into the Nikita building. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. why don't I meet with Larry Ellison, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why not, right? I think I can squeeze him in. So I was like, yeah, hey, Larry, you know, I'm pulling him. Anyway, Larry, love him. 
And he was like, yeah, you want to move into the Nikita building? Go ahead. It's yours. But it was definitely something I felt very anxious about because the cafe is 1,200 square feet. And the Nikita building, I don't know if you've been there, but that's more like 12,000 square feet. Wow. I Yeah, I didn't have the balls for that. But we did tell our landlord we were thinking of moving there. And then the restaurant that had opened at the front of the pier, which was Malibu Pier Restaurant and Bar, had gone under. And then he said, instead of moving to Nikita, you can take over this restaurant. So we did that. But the conversations with Larry then was like, okay, why don't you come to my island in Lanai and open there? So that was our first license. And that was through that connection. Oh, that's amazing. I just assumed it was the one in, uh, what is it, Newport? So Newport came many years later. We opened Newport, I think it's been like four years now. So maybe 2017, I think. Yeah, I've been to that location and it's beautiful as well. I mean, (laughs) you you only open in beautiful locations, apparently. Well, when we opened, I mean, that center is so cute. Like they did a great job with it. And our location wasn't great the first way we looked at it, but I just kept loving the center. And there was a lot of vacancies because we went in there pretty early on. Yeah, that's in Lido, right? Lido Village? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Lido Village. Mm -hmm. And we just had the, it's hard to describe it now, but we just had the dining room and like four tables out in the front. And then there's a patio to the right, but the patio wasn't ours. I was like a breezeway. But then on the other side of the patio, there was a small building. And so the landlord was like, well, if you take the building that's right next door, you can have the patio. But the only thing is the building next door has to be an ice cream shop. Because we're a center and we don't have an ice cream shop. So then we're like, okay, okay, well, great. Let's open an ice cream shop, right? And that's an ice cream shop. So once we got that patio between, it really changed the look and feel of that restaurant. It really made a huge difference. Okay. And lastly, I just wanted to ask you about Japan. So is that strictly a licensing deal or how did that come that about? That is a licensing deal. And, you know, it, was, it, it actually opened March 2020. We had tickets to go in February, like in the end of February. My daughter, she at the time, she was director of finance at uh, McSweeney's. And she's like, mom, you cannot go to Japan. I don't think you understand this pandemic thing. Okay. It's going to blow up. And we're like, no, it seems like a great time to travel. Like (laughs) it's going to be nobody traveling. It's going to be all, it's like uh, parents. Okay. I listen now, cancel your ticket. So she kept pushing us. And so literally the day before we were supposed to go, I guess. Yeah. You'd have been stuck there. (laughs) The people from Japan had just been here and we had trained them here in Malibu and then they went back and then they're like okay we're ready for you guys to come here and that's when the pandemic hit so we never end up going there wow. uh, looks great on Instagram can't wait to go you know oh you I still haven't gone um, in 2023 I, do I still oh. haven't gone now that's crazy well no, if, you need, if you need someone to go on your behalf all expenses paid I'll definitely check it out for you <laughs> <laughs> yes we're always waiting for them because they're like oh because half the time they have like a lot of restrictions still it's Mm. a lot more i'm serious in asia how they're taking it so they wanted to have like a big party when we come and whole thing so they're looking for the best of anyway as soon as we're we're able to go we're ahead there that's amazing okay so since we're talking about international let's stick with that i know that you grew up in sweden my grandparents on my dad's side are actually swedish But I don't know much about the culture, so I wanted to pick your brain here because here in L.A., we like to brag about how we have every culture in the world. 
but I haven't personally found that many Swedish restaurants <laughs> and activities in Los Angeles. So do you have any things from back home in Sweden that you enjoy right here in LA that you can share with us? You know, the thing that I that I find amazing, and you used to, there's like the Swedish, not the consulate, but um, what's the Swedish? Svea, the Svea organization. They used to have all of these St. Lucia's pop up. But after the pandemic, they haven't done them. And I have done St. Lucia at my restaurant since the day we opened in 2013, which is December 13. And if you're a kid in school, it will be a class Santa Lucia. You will normally go to your teacher's home in the morning and you will wear these outfits. You'll sing the songs. You'll bring the goodies to your teacher. Yeah, so it sounds like the place to go to learn more about Swedish culture is Malibu Farm. Um, yes, and join us for, we always do Santa Lucia, both in Malibu and at Lido. We'll release the date. It's near December 13, but it depends on when we can book the traditional singers for it. It's usually our busiest night of the year. It is amazing. Half the room is old Swiss. They're bawling their brains out because it reminds them of the homeland. <laughs> so if you have any Swedish connection, that is the day to come. It's really, really fantastic. All right, cool. We're definitely going to go. Is that a one-day thing or is it a couple uh, Sometimes we do two days. It really depends on the singers. You know, there's not that many people that uh, do the performance for it. So it just depends on when we can book them and when they can come out they're in high demand so you know <laughs> okay cool all right so i'm definitely gonna check that out my wife's been bugging me forever to learn more about my swedish side of the family so and like i said i haven't found a bunch of stuff in la for that i want to ask you a personal question so i'm half white american by way of sweden like i said and i'm half african by my mother who's from ethiopia so i i kind of know firsthand how sometimes it can be difficult when you don't fit into like a neat racial box so I wanted to ask you, what was it like to grow up in Sweden with a very small black population and then come to a city like L.A. that is so multicultural? And then also, do you find yourself constantly explaining your background to people here in the United States? I mean, where I grew up, which is in a very, very north of Sweden, is near the Finnish border. I had never seen another black person. I was the only black person that I'd ever seen in my entire life where I was at. Wow. And you know, the one thing is, like, even for myself, the only black people that I ever seen were on TV. So in my mind, they were basketball players or singers. And that's in everybody else's mind, right? So every person, oh, are you a basketball player? It's like, no, I can't catch the ball. <laughs> are you a singer? <laughs> I can't hold the tune, you know? And so you're kind of bombarded with those questions because... Uh, understandably so, because even for myself, I'm like, oh, I need to be a basketball player or a singer, but I can't do any of those things. So then who am I? So I definitely very much struggle with just identity of who I could be. I know when people say, oh, representation, but representation does matter because I had no idea of who I was even allowed to be mm -hmm. because I grew up in a place where everyone just that will be a singer and a dancer. So I went to New York and I, I instead of going to England because I just wanted to disappear among the people. I wanted to be able to walk down the street without everyone asking, oh my God, are you a basketball player? <laughs> are you a singer? I just wanted to disappear among the masses, which is why I really came to America in the first place. Wow. I don't know that I explained my identity. I'm still very self-conscious about people looking at me or even talking to me if you met me you'll probably think i'm gonna be a kind of rude because i'm very much an introvert i get very very stressed out when people are talking at me and if people are looking at me i get very anxiety ridden 
So I am not rude, although maybe I am rude, but just generally speaking, I just need to be prepared for any social interaction. A surprise social interaction is very, very stressful for me. Well, you're doing a really good job in this interview. I wouldn't have never known that unless you just told me. <laughs> so, Well, it's prepared and you can't see me. So <laughs> yeah, this helps yeah. a lot. A lot of it is about the being seen. You know, I almost began to try to make myself invisible where I just like, I like to dress like very nondescript, like it's going to disappear. So sometimes if somebody randomly speaks to me, I'm like, how do they see me? (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine it must be so different though, because, well, first of all, New York is even more multicultural than Los Angeles, but to go from being the only black person that you've ever even seen to come to cities in America, like LA, that are just every race that you can imagine. I'm sure it's just completely different. And that's what I was looking for. I just looking. I was really just looking for it to disappear in a crowd. Like that's my favorite thing. I yeah. don't like to be seen. That's why if you go on my Instagram, I seldom put a picture of myself. I don't want to do any cooking videos because I just get anxious. I don't enjoy it. I know other people might be like, oh, you know, they make a video and someone's like, I saw your cooking video. To me, it's like, oh my God, there's my cooking video. Oh my God, I got to go hide in the closet, right? <laughs> so that's definitely a struggle for me. Well, now I'm very happy that I do audio only interviews so I can get you on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the reason why I asked you that is just as a multiracial person myself, I don't look half black and I don't look white, obviously. So get a lot of questions. So that's why I wanted to ask you about that, even though it's a lot different than where you grew up in Sweden what it was like for you here in the U.S.? I think people just think I'm black, you know. I think I'm dark enough where they're not necessarily confused. Some people ask me, like, if I'm from Brazil or Caribbean every now and then, but mostly people don't actually ask me, so I guess I'm lucky for that. Yeah, (laughs) so you can be an introvert more than Sweden where everyone's looking at you and approaching you. But um, let's get back to Malibu Farm. So you've enjoyed some amazing success so far in a pretty short amount of time, but let's dream really big, sky's the limit, Wildest dreams. Where would you like to see Malibu Farm go in the next three to five years? I mean, I'm a practical person, I would say, and not so much of a dreamer. I don't think I aspire to world domination of any degree. I think one of the things we did learn during the pandemic is that we don't necessarily want to be in the licensing business. We'd rather be operate operational. There were some licenses we part ways with. And anytime you're in a license deal, you're dealing with big corporations and it's so focused on the bottom line and the dollars and letting people go the second they need to versus the value is often more important to hold on to employees than saving a buck here and there. Yeah. Um, So we want to be in operations and not in licensing. So we have more control over staffing in particular. Yeah, it sounds like you lose a little bit of your soul when you're doing the, um, or, you know, the you do. I mean, people were just, everyone, you know, my daughter says she worked from experience at the time. And she's like, not only are you guys not going to Japan, you need to fire everybody today, mom. You don't understand what's happening. I was like, fire people. I've been like working for us for seven years. I'm not firing anyone. And one of the things that I would say that I'm very proud of, we did keep almost all of our employees uh, employed even before we got the PPP because I was committed to the idea of trying to keep everyone working and employed, which is something you can never do with a license. Yeah. You know what? A big dreamer. I mean, I'm just like, how do we push a vegetable forward diet towards more people and not just the same top 1% who's already eating super healthy and to create menus that are more inclusive 
we're always trying to reach the person that doesn't normally go to a farm to table restaurant because maybe they feel like they don't belong there or the food is too foreign so or, or something they're unusual with so i like to keep my menu super simple both in language but also have something you know even if you know sometimes some other chef would be like i went there and it's really dumb because you have a plain cheese panini why don't you put truffles and you know pears in it and it's like Okay, but that defeats the purpose of the panini because we're going to have 100 people a day that has never been to a farm-to-table restaurant that is looking at this menu. Maybe they have a daughter that's 13 and follows on their Instagram and the parents are like looking like this is not a place where we belong. And it's very important to have a couple of items on the menu. So when they're reading that, they'll be like, you know what? I can eat that. Yeah. And what we are going to do is we're going to put a side salad with every single dish because we're trying to normalize the idea that there are greens on your plate. And we are going to serve you a burger at the cafe, but we're going to give it with broccoli mashed potatoes. It's very familiar, but it has broccoli. We're going to give you a side thing, uh, a side salad as well, because if we're asking people to pay for a side salad, they're not right. But if you give it to them and maybe they're not eating it, but maybe the first five times they see it, it's like feels normal. And maybe on time six, they're starting to eat it. And maybe two years later, they're adding it to their diet. So I'm all about like, how do we bring the people on to the vegetable forward uh, movement who is not currently included in that conversation? Yeah, and it really helps that it's super delicious. So people who don't normally eat that type of food can try it out. Like you said, it's accessible comes with the meal and then make that a lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I'm always an outsider, right? I'm a life, lifetime outsider. So I'm always just like, how do I include the outsiders in this conversation? Because even I get super intimidated going to like an upscale restaurant or something that's super trendy. I probably would never go except my husband, you know, takes me. But if I, if somebody didn't like twist my arm to go, I'd be like, oh, I don't feel like I belong here. I feel like, you know, I'm out of my place. I feel that. So I'm always kind of, trying to create an environment where I myself would be comfortable coming in and then hoping that there are people that everyone feels at least like they could potentially belong there. Yeah. Okay. So Helena, this is the last question for us. Can you take us through your perfect day in Malibu? Let's imagine you don't have to work that day from waking up to going to bed. What would you do and where would you go to make it your dream day? I mean, I love a routine more than everything. I'm kind of like a Swedish train. And I love to run on schedule. I get very unsettled if my schedule changes. So <laughs> I love a routine. I wake up early every morning. We do have a lot of animals. So, you know, dogs, cats, goats, chickens, pig. So I always wake up first and I feed all the animals. And then I have usually tea and like a Swedish wasa cracker and some yogurt. And I read the LA Times. I still get the paper edition. I, lo- I mean, I know, I, you know maybe we should be using paper. Maybe I should read it on my phone or my app. But I do love the physical paper. So for that <laughs> trash participation, I, I apologize. But I do like to read the paper, drink my tea. It's all nice and quiet. Go running or hiking or exercising of some sort. Then my next favorite time of the day is my cup of coffee. Um, I love coffee, but I only drink one cup a day. And I like it to be a really nice latte. So either I'll come to the Pure Habit or I'll go to another coffee shop. But that is a must for me. Actually, my youngest son is like, I'm never going to drink coffee because, mom, you're a little bit crazy about your coffee. It's like, how am I crazy? I just want the one cup. And I want my one cup between 10, 30 and 11. This is like the only, yeah, this is out of control, mom. It's just like this fixation with the time. It's like, I know, but it's like 10, 10 30, 11, I will have coffee. If you're looking no, no, for no, me, why, I why will is it, have uh, coffee. Why is it a little bit later instead of like first thing in the morning like most people do? 
because I used to drink a lot of coffee and then I got a lot of egg, you know, like caffeine headaches. So now I'm like oh. a recovering alcoholic. So I only drink the one cup and I want to be getting coffee from somewhere. Right. I don't want to make my own coffee. Oh, it's gotcha. like, I don't own any clothes. I don't own any shoes. I don't own any jewelry. I don't <laughs> own any art. I don't own anything like that. Yeah. But I will buy a cup of coffee every single day of my life. And so I like <laughs> to, you know, drink tea first, exercise first go to a coffee shop or go to a pier. So that's why I like to have it in that 10, 30 to 11 time frame. Oh, gotcha. Then after that, maybe I'll uh, start some random ridiculous project, whether that's a gardening project or thinking about something new we can make or trying some new recipes or going to a farmer's market or something like that. And then in the afternoon, I feed all the animals and then I'll make dinner. And then I like to chill. I don't like to go out that much. It's like the one thing when people tell you when you move to Malibu, you'll never leave the house again. And you're kind of like, ah, I'm a cool Hollywood person. I'm going to go. Yeah. One year later, you never, (laughs) it's it's hard to get motivated. So more, you might invite people over. After the pandemic, we've been uh, hermiting a lot. But pre-pandemic, we would definitely have people over you know, maybe once a week for an early dinner. And so I haven't gotten back into that. I don't know that I will. I think the pandemic definitely put me back in my introvert maximum stage where I like to minimize exposure to people. So we'll see yeah. if I get back into the invite game. Well, you got everything you need there. I'm, you got I'm, great a, co- yeah, I'm a very simple person. I like simple things. Yeah. I like a routine. I hate shopping. I hate going to stores. Um, I'm not like into I like fashion when other people wear it for myself. No, I'm just like not super interested. Yeah. Well, that sounds like an awesome day in Malibu. And it sounds like you got everything you need at home anyway. I mean, you've got the farm animals, you've got good food and you got good coffee. Helene, it was so great learning more about Malibu Farm. Where's the best place for listeners to go who want to learn even more and go visit Malibu? Uh, I mean, I think on our website, and if you want to find out about when Santa Lucia, we also have a gingerbread decorating event. Of course, I snow all December long because I love snow. I guess fake snow. It's a snow machine. It's ocean approved, you know, dolphin friendly, whatnot. But I do love the snowing. And usually we do 5 p.m. snow all of December. Super fun. Sign up for our newsletter and then you will be notified about all our events. The first one coming up will be free pumpkin carving, which will be the Sunday before uh, Halloween. All right, cool. So come get your big pumpkin and carve it. Yeah, that'd be amazing to do right at Malibu Farms and right on the pier. And I'm definitely checking out that Swedish event that you're having later this year. All right, thank you so much, Helena. It was great talking to you and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Helena. I'm a big, big fan of Malibu Farms and even more so after hearing her story. I appreciate how open and honest she was with us about her childhood in Sweden, her struggles with being a bit different, her challenges even today with overcoming shyness, and how she worked and worked to achieve the success that she now enjoys with her restaurants. Now, if you want to enjoy some really, really good food, some great service, some incredible atmosphere and vibes, and all that just steps from the ocean and right in all the beauty that is Malibu, I highly, highly recommend you go visit Malibu Farms. In fact, if you're looking to take someone special or someone visiting to a good meal and a good experience, it should 100% be near the top of your list. You can find out more about them as well as their other locations on their website 
at malibu-farm.com or you can find them on Instagram at just Malibu Farm. Okay guys, on to my hack. So this one is about Malibu because I recently went to a place in Malibu that's been on my bucket list forever and that is a visit to Carbon Beach, AKA Billionaire Beach. And the reason why it's called Billionaire Beach is because obviously it's on a stretch of sand where some extremely wealthy people live and it's just a beautiful beach. But there was a big controversy over it for years because these wealthy homeowners that, that lived on that strand of beach were trying to keep people off of it, even though it's a public beach. This was especially true at the eastern access entrance to the beach, which is right next to David Geffen's home. For years, he tried to deny public access with lawsuits and fake signs, blocked parking spots, all kinds of really weird stuff. But eventually it all got settled the little guy won and we can now access it with no problems. This beach is gorgeous. When we went, it was it was not crowded at all, but of course, probably best to go early or off hours um, so you can make sure you have most of it to yourself. You can look up the address online and you can park right on PCH. Another cool thing, and I didn't know this until we went recently, is it's not far from the Malibu Pier. In fact, you could probably walk all on the beach from Carbon Beach up to the Malibu Pier, uh, up to the Malibu Pier for lunch or drinks at Malibu Farms. Okay, guys, go check out Carbon Beach, aka Billionaire Beach. Go check out Malibu, and make sure to visit the amazing Malibu Farms when you do. All right, that's all I got for you this week, and I'll talk to you again soon.